0: Hello, Radio Land, Podcastville, and all of our LARB readers. My name is Eric Newman, and you are listening to the LARB Radio Hour, brought to you by Reader Supported, L.A. Review of Books. I'm joined in the studio today with my lovely co-host, Medea Ocher, the managing editor of LARB. Hi, Dale. Hi, Eric. And today we've got a really exciting show for you. Um, We're speaking with Ai Weiwei, the human rights activist, writer, curator, architect, filmmaker, renaissance man extraordinaire, whose new documentary Human Flow is opening in Los Angeles on October 20th. The film looks at the refugee crises, and that's plural, across the world, showing the damage and devastation caused by social, political, and ecological disasters. I personally found this... Movie difficult to watch, both because of the content, but also at the same time astoundingly beautiful, just because of the the cinematography. So there's like a real push and pull there for me between the human tragedy and just the utter beauty that Ai Weiwei is able to render on film.
1: Yeah, I agree. It was also difficult to watch because it felt like it kept going and kept moving around the world to different locations and different displaced populations. Yeah, in a way that almost felt beautiful but relentless. Yeah, and. I, want, I just wanted it to stop and to stop sort of finding a different refugee camp somewhere else. But no, he, he found many. And the life in those camps, as uh, I think we don't see often enough, is so difficult. Yeah. Um, and yeah. It, was, it was difficult to watch, but also important.
0: Yeah, I agree. All right, well, let's get to that conversation. Let's do it. We are very fortunate to have artist, human rights activist, writer, curator, architect, and filmmaker Ai Weiwei with us in the studio today. Ai Weiwei's art has long addressed political and social injustice, both in his native China and the world more generally. He gained broad international fame after his 2011 arrest when he was sequestered for 81 days in a Beijing prison and, after his release, was prohibited from traveling abroad, engaging in public speech, and was subjected to continued government surveillance. Rather than silence his voice, Ai's experiences amplified it and invigorated him to become an even more active artist and political voice. He has received several prestigious awards for his work, including the Skowhegan Medal in 2011 and the Chinese Contemporary Art Award in 2008. His work has appeared in major exhibitions at museums, including the Kunsthaus Brekens in Austria, the Victoria and Albert Museum, as well as the Tate Modern in London and the Asia Society Museum in New York, among many others. His new documentary, Human Flow, focuses on the global refugee crisis and has already won three awards at the Venice Film Festival. Produced by Amazon Studios, Human Flow is out October 20th at theaters in LA and throughout the rest of 2017 at theaters nationwide. Welcome to the show, Ai Weiwei. Thank you. Can you describe your experience filming in these various refugee camps? Were there things that couldn't or weren't able to be recorded on camera captured by the lens?
2: yeah to have a film in this large scale and to to facing very very different uh, environment you know different state different political conditions different religious language you know all those and some happened uh, right at the moment and mm. uh, some have a long his- historical history there so it really, many things are very, uh, quite unpredictable. And, uh, you know, uh, even the, the drone shots, we take those equipment, which is mostly illegal to be even cross-border. And certainly in most camps, you cannot fly this kind of equipment because most of them are under military right. control, zoom, you know. So it's you always have to constantly make a decision to push it uh, further or to risk many, many unpredictable situations. As a filmmaker and also as a human rights activist, I always have to make decisions across the line, you know, to, to see mm. let's, let's push a little bit further, you know. Let's, uh, you know, bear some kind of unthinkable responsibility Because our human conditions are so, it's never happened as expected. You know, uh, all those uh, conditions are really unthinkable and beyond the comprehension. So we always have to put ourselves into this kind of struggle. We're not just an observer, but also anticipating this uh, struggle. Hmm.
1: Were there lines, you know, one of the things that viewers, I think, will notice right away when they watch this film is that you see a lot of suffering. You see a lot of suffering. You see many people waiting in line, waiting for food, fording rivers physically without any assistance other than maybe somebody's hand. You say you weren't just observing. So was there a line that you would not cross when you were filming?
2: We we made a concept before we start shooting. You know, basically, so what not to, to mm-hmm. not to include in our film. We try to avoid some bloody or extreme conditions or too mm-hmm. sentimental. You know, to right. uh, would uh, attract the audience in their mind into some unacceptable conditions so we're not uh, interested film in filming those things, but very rather to to give very quite general attention about human feeling you know um, and to try and to tell the story in more most peaceful way you know not to uh, push it to mm-hmm. extreme situation mm-hmm. so that uh, kind of decision made our filming, quality different. We would have always, in most cases, have a tripod. So that means we have a very, like, a still shot and, uh, and we don't pan or zoom in lens. You know, we, we want to have a uh, quiet observation, you know, to give uh, each frame. Um, and we even design those frames should be a minute or longer so we can we can use the best part of it. So those regulations for camera person or are very important for later to structure this film.
0: One of the things that struck me in the film is obviously what you're filming, the refugee crisis, is incredibly impactful. It also strikes me how quickly these, in a moment of ongoing and ever-present crisis and trauma, how quickly some of these experiences can just fade from our cultural consciousness. I mean, if you think about even in the past two months here we've had you know three hurricanes that have caused unbelievable devastation we've had the earthquake in mexico and then we also have these ongoing and ever developing humanitarian crises with the refugee i worry are we at peak tragedy and in some sense what do you want the film to do or to inspire for viewers and are we at a limit of empathic capacity
2: and certainly, the what happens uh, in today's media or the the social media is full of um, suppression, and uh, you know you just what happened yesterday or the mm-hmm. day before. You know you always you try to you know our capacity or our, our emotion has to constantly deal with uh, unthinkable situations. So that's why we make the film. We want to do something more, can last longer. It can be, if you look back about our time, what happened in the refugee condition, we can leave uh, some kind of record mm-hmm. and uh, as evidence about uh, that moment. If we talk about uh, our social or humanity conditions, so we have a record. And so this is uh, always the uh, intention of this film.
0: So it is then a living document of what is happening. I yeah. Mean, a call
2: to action but also your yeah, this not is the news. Now. We try to voice this kind of news quality mm. because it give a, a few seconds or minutes then sure. and uh, just uh, then the next one will replace it. It's more like advertisement type of thing but we are trying to dig humanity as a permanent quality which anybody from any side of the argument can can still see it as some kind of base
0: for argument. I mean, how do you think that government should respond to these crises? Because on the other hand, we also have governments seem increasingly less inclined to do anything about human rights abuses. I mean, this is true most, I feel it most particularly in America right now, given the current administration does not seem to care much about human rights, doesn't seem to care much about civil rights either. So, you know, what... Can Are governments the ones that will make the difference here? And what do you think that governments need to do?
2: I think the uh, human rights, especially after the um, collapse of the Berlin Wall and uh, after the so-called uh, globalization, the human rights words have been less and less mentioned, not only this administration, also the previous administration here avoid to talk about uh, human rights issues and but uh, I think one thing because they they're doing big business with all those right. places which have a very bad human rights record, but I don't I think uh, globally, to name it, you know avoid to to talk about the issues with China, hmm. which uh, is a big violators of uh, right. human rights and uh, not only, This state, but uh, all those European states Mm -hmm. also uh, followed or become trend to just enjoy the big uh, business and uh, not to talk about those values. And as a result, um, now we have a very bad, um, you know, backlash of of all the rightist movement in every nation. Right. Yeah. And uh, which. create a, a political landscape, um, something uh, unthinkable in some years uh, become a reality. Do you think that we're
0: headed towards a darker world? Are we at like a tipping point or do you have hope in this moment?
2: I think it's a moment we already know what could happen. But if we don't, you know, liberty always take uh, someone to defend it. If we don't act up, we don't realize they have a potential Danger to really uh, crash on on these very fundamental values about uh, what made uh, you know us as us, us you know which mm-hmm. is about liberty about democracy about uh, you know individuality you know all those uh, very very important values. If we don't defend it, it can be uh, a big uh, tragedy for our society. And it's happening, uh, you know, so this is really alarm for the whole society to act up.
1: I was wondering, you mentioned China. One of the ways in which I think people think about you as an artist is as a Chinese artist. But this film, I think, repositions that quite forcefully in that your work seems much more global and more cosmopolitan, if one were to characterize it in any kind of way. Do you think of yourself... As a Chinese artist still? And what, what is your relationship to China <laughs> right
2: now? I never really think uh, I'm a Chinese artist, even in, uh, almost every article they have to mention that. <laughs> Otherwise, I long time forget. <laughs> I, s- I have something to do with China. But uh, I may, uh, I have to say most of my struggles... Uh, I reflect in my relations to that government, not only me, also my father's generation. Mm-hmm. As a poet, he was exiled for 20 years. That gave me a very strong inference or identity about who I am, you know, and uh, both in political stand, also in the artistic uh, values. So, you know, I, I would think I'm a, person have no na- nationality uh, because my basically my nation completely not only refused me but rather put me in very dangerous position, you know, I was beaten, I was put in jail and uh, in self-detention and uh, in all kinds of uh, extreme conditions only because I want to have my voice, you know, the voice is, uh, you know, it's very rational criticism. And uh, till today, I am being forced out mm-hmm. because of the danger is there. My two of my li- lawyers are serving sentence, and many, many my fellow friends are still in detention, and nobody knows where they are. And uh, you know, it's not without trial. Mm-hmm. So it's extremely a uh, difficult uh, position for me, even to have a choice. But uh, still, I I have been spent uh, some years in in New York, uh, mm-hmm. in United States, but still as a migrant, and, uh, you know, start with knowing the language has no economic uh, means to, to survive, I become like illegal alien in surviving in New York City. Mm-hmm. And then now I'm in Berlin, I don't speak German, and, uh, you know, still my condition is quite uh, If you uh, look at it, it really doesn't attach to any nationality. You know, it's a man without, uh, it doesn't belong to anyone.
1: In that sense, as I was watching the film, it also occurred to me, do you feel yourself as one, obviously your position is quite different than the refugees that you filmed in the various camps, but as a person who identifies as nationless, right, and without sort of in between, neither here nor there, did you feel yourself identifying with the people that were stuck in these places that were neither here nor there. They couldn't move one way. They couldn't go back.
2: And you know, I'm sixty years old. Uh, in most mm-hmm. time of my life, uh, you know, my mm-hmm. conscious life, you know, I have feels no place I belong to. There's no place I can call home. You know, there's no place I can feel mm-hmm. safe or familiar, or you know, I can be tolerated or to give more. Uh, space. It's mm-hmm. just uh, constantly trying to come up my own, uh, to find out my own identity, and uh, to give uh, my life a form or, or shape, and uh, to you know to to challenge with this kind of identity. And I I feel unfortunate, very fortunate. that I, I still have my voice, and my you know I've been quite recognized in many ways. But to see what kind of uh, life my voice uh, represents, you know, all those people, millions, millions, uh, who never would have a chance to even to have their voice, and nobody would understand them, and uh, you know they would live in dark and uh, until maybe next generation. Mm-hmm. So it's very very difficult uh, position, even. Uh, what i've been taking it looks easy but it's not uh, uh, you know in my mind deeply i if i wake up you know i'm could be in this city and tomorrow in the next city and uh, so i don't clearly know where i come from or where i'm going <laughs>
0: You are listening to the Larb Radio Hour, coming to you from Emerson College in the heart of Hollywood. We now return to our conversation with Ai Weiwei, the director of Human Flow, a new documentary about the refugee crisis. To return these questions about Nation a little bit back to the film is like one of the things I, I was wondering is... On the one hand, you have a track of global capital where it's like business doesn't recognize really any nation, and we don't end up talking as much about like economics in terms of nation. But when it comes to individual people and their rights, we relegate all of that. Their identity, their ability to get something or not get something is all relegated to their national identity. right? So I'm wondering if in a certain sense, one of the things that the film is charging us to do is to pull away from nationality as a kind of key decider or key factor in determining one's identity and security.
2: Yeah, I think um, yeah, that's the point. Uh, you know, we, there's nationality and there's all those laws, rules, and argument. But this is something we, we all identify uh, with as humanity, which has no nationality. You know, very simple. In, it says uh, everyone created equal. Mm-hmm. You know, we all, in everybody's uh, life and uh, on their body is part of ours, and our whatever we apply to ourselves should be justified to to also to other people. Mm-hmm. So this is very classic uh, understanding should be, and that's we also very modern because we we defend those very uh, essential uh, values. But uh, since. Um, very late, the nation's borders has been created. And uh, after German war taken down, that time was 11 borders, but now it's already increasing to 70 borders uh, mm-hmm. in the world. But if you look at the another way, you know, those borders are really on the map. You know, it, it's such an old idea to, to, to mark, you know, the it's uh, straight line also, to see, yeah. okay, you cannot cross it, and uh, you know your, uh, your president now is an uh, even so-called a beautiful wall uh, between contradiction. Yeah, in terms. yeah, yeah, yeah. But after globalization, the real map is already changed. You know the mm-hmm. real political economic structure under their border is not there; it's the Im- invincible. You know, so you you certainly have two borders, two lines. You know the. the the most powerful under the state and all those uh, secret deals, you know, they, they're not uh, yeah, they, they, the, the border on the map that has nothing to do with them. They only use mm-hmm. that as uh, some kind of excuse to stop the ordinary people and, uh, you know, the poorest uh, people trying to find a house clean job or a babysitting job right. but, th- you know, the the real, mm-hmm. real interest and uh, profit and has nothing to do with it.
0: I'd also wanted to talk about, you're a very avid user of social media, right? Can you talk a little bit about, as I understand it, part of, it was in fact social media that ended up kind of getting you applied this label of being like a dissident Chinese artist, right? So one would be, is that a label that um, you are comfortable with or is that something that was kind of pushed on you from the outside? And then the second part of that question would be to ask about what role you think social media might play, um, good or bad, in kind of getting awareness around human suffering and getting that addressed.
2: First, I I, I said several times uh, my existence are really as a product of social media. You know, I've been artists for quite long. I've been architects. I have been doing curating. You know, uh, I d- I did uh, so many things, but none of them can give me a platform to mm. give out my opinions and uh, to associate to so many people who like to hear someone uh, identify uh, their own voice. So social media is my first platform to reach out and uh, to to really get myself re- uh, recognized. Mm-hmm. And uh, once uh, the secret police uh, come to me, they come to see me all the time in China. But right before they give back my passport, they said, uh, wait, wait, I have uh, one question. Somebody, you know, they said, you only become so well-known because of uh, because us. Because I, of their help with the yeah, internet, I said yeah. That, yes. I take a powerful nation to create a uh, great artist. You know, without uh, my struggle with uh, you know you, you guys, I, I can never become I uh, will <laughs> today. You know, which I tell them. Uh, you know, we both side we we think about it quite uh, uh, honestly. You know, this is uh, the truth. It take a uh, uh, great stress to to create some kind of uh, power or, you know, or character. So I still think the, the Internet is the most, most important discovery of human uh, ever because uh, it's first time it can uh, make individual, us individual to be recognized. Mm-hmm. You, you can structure knowledge, your information, and uh, associate with one or ideas you want to and uh, give us some kind of Voice, so that's impossible. All those things uh, are in the old time are uh, really uh, belongs to the power. Mm-hmm. No one mm-hmm. can cross that. It's not possible. Right. But today that is possible, and we see so many things uh, beautiful things happens in our life. Uh, somehow always relate to uh, technology and uh, development of this kind of new uh, information the communication. Mm. And of course, uh, there's many many other things also happens at the same time. you know the government become uh, also much more powerful in terms sure. of uh, control people's identity or privacy, and all those uh, craziness are also happening. So that one means uh, this game uh, come to another level. What role do you think that art has
0: in both resistance against the increasing surveillance and control of governments? Um, but also in addressing humanitarian crises. Does art have a particular purchase on um, represent, you know, it's a representational purchase on suffering that gives it a unique capacity right now?
2: I I would think um, art serves much broader uh, function. You know, art is about unpredictable condition. You know, it's like poetry or a film. And a uh, always... And touches us by offer us a, a new condition, a new definition. So that's why we still think uh, art is, uh, is relevant. And uh, you know, and that's also why the, those powers are uh, hated art. You know, they, right. because this it can't be controlled. It's not a kind of game they can they can easily control yeah. it under uh, their familiar with Art is about unpredicted conditions. So. Uh, so it serves in a much larger scale in, in terms of how we how we could find some kind of uh, human solution about uh, uh, our situation, not necessarily logical, but uh, still a, something can be uh, even more profound. So,
1: and when you think about a profound, um, a more profound solution, what is it that you imagine? Is it Empathy is, it a, is it a is it an emotional sort of understanding.
2: I I still think uh, mm-hmm. as a human we are the final struggle about our effort is uh, uh, our identity, you know, who we are and uh, how we uh, survive. You know, this is very very essential. Then we have mm-hmm. to think about our relations to towards nature, towards the environment and you know, we have to think about this this global th- this planet is mm-hmm. such a miracle, mm-hmm. and the life itself is such a miracle. And uh, but it's very fragile. It's a it's, it's a given condition, but it can be easily changed. And uh, everything can be wiped out. You know, we just belong to another planet, like the millions in the in the dark space, and uh, no life in there. So if we you know, human have been long forget about this condition, and not to talk about that. I think this is the biggest mistake maybe we 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 are having in today's education or or public discussion. We always have to, you know, go back to this this uh, appreciation and uh, and we have to defend all those values could uh, identify with this kind of awareness. Okay. Um,
0: one other thing that I wanted to ask about is there's a moment in the film where, I believe it's when you're shooting in Palestine, and the tunnels are used um, under, uh, in Palestine and Israel. Um, not only you know, do humans go through them, but also in one case, like exotic animals, right? So there's a tiger that comes through one of the the tunnels, and there's an immediate response to get the tiger relocated to a place where it could thrive or be taken care of. And it was reminding me how... In many ways, our empathy can be activated around animals. So, an example, um, Harambe, right, was one um, Cecil the lion who was shot by that dentist from Michigan, I think, and that there's an immediate like social reaction against that. And I am stunned in many ways about how there is no, there's more empathy, in other words, or compassion for a tiger than there is for thousands of Hundreds millions. of th- millions of people that are that are refugees, right? And I and I want to be clear that I'm not saying that the tiger's life is worthless, but that there is a way, at least in the West, in which our empathy can be activated for animals in a way that it is not activated for fellow human beings.
2: In most cases, empathy are really come from a uh, uh, su- uh, superior mm. uh, status to say. Mm you know, as mercy and... Uh, as like it's a, a privilege. S- yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's about uh, social status and uh, our, our position in many, many cases. And uh, which um, I think is uh, come from uh, uh, uh thinking, you know, this is uh, uh, as a human, all life are quite fragile, you know, just like anything else. And it, it, it's I think uh, we need to understand that we need to understand we 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 all humble and we all our um, condition are conditioned, really um, not uh, as we think. Uh. So you know it's become ironic. You know people mm. uh, uh, pay attention to certain things, but that kind of judgment doesn't apply to something else.
1: Yeah. Aside from the knowledge. Or remembering the kind of um, miraculous accident that life is, um, is there something that we might consider or keep in mind as as we move forward as people rather than as um, as governments?
2: I think um, we have to trust the humanity. Right? That 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 means we have to trust ourselves. And we have to see all those mistakes or those unfortunate things are created by human being. You know, it's a human's problem. And uh, we can easily solve it, actually, if we really, really want to. But of course, the social have such a structure. You have a political, you have a nation, you have a different parties, and you have a left and right. But uh, we have to come up. Some kind of solution. Everybody have to sit down and to to see it as a human problem, and uh, you know to to solve it in in most um, human way.
1: Mm-hmm. I noticed you taking photographs in the studio. Um, do you do you document every uh, every interaction you have?
2: I document um, every memorable moment in the people I meet or some special occasions. It's just like uh, old-time people, artists make sketches. You Mm -hmm. know, I I take my my photos.
0: Can I also ask you, um, kind of obviously you're a flashpoint for talking about civil rights and free speech, what do you make of the kind of global crackdown? I mean, China is one example, but it's certainly not limited to there um, on civil rights and kind of lawyers defending civil rights.
2: I think um, that means uh, all this power, uh, power so uh, has no confidence. They are they 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 realize how dangerous that can be. Any voice, uh, any single voice, or indiv- independent mind can really threaten to their most uh, unthinkable uh, power or state. Okay. So that means um, you know s- some kind of sign or rewarding of uh, uh, freedom of speech, We just have to have more people demanding.
0: Do you see change happening at all moving forward? I mean, on the one hand, in what is it in June, the 19th uh, Party Congress will convene. And do you think that that's going to lead to more of a crackdown on civil and legal rights? Or are we heading towards maybe a tipping point?
2: no i think we cannot really uh give uh, some kind of w- wishful thinking about this right. uh, we have to really base it on facts uh, the fact is the more uh, uh you know crash on human rights and the human conditions sure. and the lawyers and uh that i again that shows uh, how states uh, look at itself you know to how how this do they have any uh, confidence or do they have any kind of uh, understanding about the legitimacy of the power? Okay. So all those things uh, shows uh, those conditions, of course, the, the fight will uh, oh, 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 far from the end.
0: Okay. And then um, just to close out, uh, what is your advice for people in terms of resisting that kind of encroachment of power, the cracking down?
2: I think uh, we have to trust uh, those values, and we, we are doing this not just for us, but uh, to show the meaning of life, because we, you know, we are only by doing that, uh, you know, we become someone we can call proudly to say, that I did it. And also... Our next generation of people will look at us to say, hey, my father's generation or my mom did this, you know, can be proud of.
0: Thank you so much. We've been speaking with Ai Weiwei, the uh, human rights activist, artist, filmmaker, architect, and writer, um, whose new film, the documentary Human Flow, about the global refugee crisis, is out in theaters in L.A. October 20th and running in theaters nationwide throughout the rest of 2017. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank
2: you. Please go to the theater.
0: You've been listening to the LARB Radio Hour. Subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. If you like the show, leave us a comment and tell us what you think. The LARB Radio Hour's executive producers are Eric Newman, Medea Ocher, and Kate Wolf. Our engineer is Lyra Smith. Our researcher is Chloe Chap. Production assistance is provided by William Broaden, Eleanor Duke, and Jake Levins. Our interns, Samson Amore, Natasha Boyd, and Joaquin Perez. Special thanks to Alan Minsky, who is no one's moral conscience, for production assistance, and to Emerson College for the use of their beautiful recording studios in the heart of Hollywood. Tom Lutz is the editor-in-chief and publisher of the Los Angeles Review of Books. I'm Eric Newman. Thanks for listening to the LARB Radio Hour.